Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. It's Bobby Lou Day as they get set to uh, honor the great Canucks netminder tonight at Rogers Arena ahead of the Canucks and Florida Panthers. Canucks looking to make it four in a row. We'll get to all of that. Ed Jovanovsky is going to join us in the second hour of the program. We'll dive into the matchup once the pregame begins. We're here in the Kintech studio. It is Canuck Central, Dan Richo, and Satyar Shah. And as is uh, becoming a little bit of a Thursday ritual, we're going to do a roundtable here with our friend Bick Nazar. You hear him on uh, The People's Show, and you also hear him on the Canucks Central postgame show. So uh, this is where Bick gets to rile up sad about Connor Garland again. Wait, before we get to that. <laughs> Wait, do I do that or do you do that? Uh, is, is, is it a roundtable if we don't sit in a circle? <laughs> we Let's sit not. in a half moon. So half it's moon. Like... As far as how people are listening to us, it sounds round. Okay. How about that? Fine. <laughs> it sounds round. Just wanted to clear up a detail, that's all. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Yes, we are in the Kintech studio, and to kick off this roundtable is uh, we go through a couple of big things going on with the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, we've heard a ton from Jim Rutherford the last couple of days, and uh, I know our interview yesterday with Jim... um, uh, couple of the big topics were surrounding Elias Pettersson and JT Miller and how they look back on the decision to re-sign Miller instead of you-know-who. And I feel like the most interesting part of it was maybe with the Pettersson situation and how there was an admittance of, we're here, we're ready, (laughs) doors open, Checkbook's open. When Elias Pettersson's ready, we'll get it done. It's like when you go to dinner with your significant other, and you're looking at the menu, and you're like, whatever you're comfortable with, I'm comfortable with. By the way, don't get the second cheapest bottle of wine. (laughs) You know from experience? Yeah, okay, we all do. Um, (laughs) Have you not seen that clip? Um, What comedian is it? Todd Berry. No, I've not seen it. I read this article that... uh, the, the most marked up bottle of wine at restaurants is the second cheapest. Oh, really? Because it's like a guy thinks oh, he's on a date and he's like, oh, I won't get the cheapest one because that will be a bad right. look. Get the second cheapest. Get the second cheapest and get destroyed on the markup. <laughs> so, so get the third cheapest. It makes sense. I don't want to be the guy that gets the cheapest yeah. bottle. So let's yeah, just get the one that's just a step above. So who do they target? That guy. <laughs> so you get the cheapest bottle then? <laughs> no, get the third cheapest. cheapest okay. yeah. It's um, I, I guess it's just a um. Maybe you don't hear it often, but an honesty from the president of just, look, we know who holds all the cards here. Wait, we don't hear it often from Jim Rutherford? <laughs> I mean, we know we hear uh, more so around the league. Sure, yes. But with Jim Rutherford, he does have uh, pensions for being overtly honest. And in this case, sort of saying, yeah, like, we want to sign him, and it's really up to him to when we get this done. D- yeah, doesn't it not feel like the the general sentiment that we've gotten for what nine months now? Yeah, yeah. going on of and and even the non update update of the meeting, the great right. meeting that took mm-hmm. place where I'm sure they resolved so much. My office is open. All yeah. these things, like even the summer, it just feels like until you get an idea of what Elias Pettersson wants yeah. as far as term, like it's it's hard to negotiate with someone who's not ready to negotiate. Oh, and I think I think what you mentioned is key here, and people are—I wouldn't say anybody really is—caught up in. Oh, does he actually want to stay here? I think everybody kind of feels like he does. 
I think the holdup is what does he want to commit to? Right. Like, it, does he want, does he view this as, as, okay, let me do three or four years? Or with how it's going, do you entertain something longer? Now, it depends also on what your outlook is. Is he looking to cash in now and then cash in bigger when the cap goes up? We don't know what his motivations are. Yeah. But if his motivations aren't fully clear, is that the biggest thing? So is the question more about is he deciding on his term or is he deciding he wants to be here at all? Yeah. And I feel like it is more the former than the latter, as you put it. Uh, it does, especially with the way things are going, it's hard to imagine um, – the player isn't keen on seeing this out a little bit longer. And that's part and parcel with the success of, of where this is headed, how you feel like you're in the right direction, how you're building an identity as a team that can win in the here and now. And it's something you can build over the next couple of years, but it's not the end of the world. If the Canucks don't get an eight year contract with Elias Pettersson here, if he wants four, uh, as Jim Rutherford said yesterday, whatever term he's comfortable with, we're comfortable with. If it makes the job harder, it makes the job harder. But yeah. you know what's going to be significantly harder? Figuring out how to win a cup without Elias Pettersson. Yeah. Well, especially when he's said at his best, he could be a five top five player. That's yeah. a statement. That's a statement. And he's not wrong. Like, and at his best, he could be in that group. Uh, we haven't... Well, I wouldn't say we haven't seen his best enough. He's coming off a 100-plus point but season. It's it's... It's a thing we tend to do, It's and fans want to do it too. It's like, oh, the eight-year deal, it's the way to do it. I get it, right? But I feel like we, we try too hard to make the job easy for GMs. And, and look, it, you want to make it as easy as possible, I get it. But like, there's other ways to do it. If, if Elias Pettersson signs a four-year deal, okay, work that problem now. I don't want to live in this world. It's like, oh, they didn't sign into an eight-year deal. It's a terrible idea. Having Elias Pettersson is not a terrible idea. Listen, academically, you can write up the best ca- the best scenario and how this is the idealistic scenario to create. If you want to create a cup-winning team that can do it consistently and, and win multiple Stanley Cups and have a 10-year window potentially, this is how you would do it. Yeah. But that's idealistic. that reality doesn't exist, well, who that's, cares? That's the thing. That reality doesn't often ex- exist. Does it re- exist on a smaller scale? I think it does. And the reality is... Life is hard. Honestly, like that, mm-hmm. that's the reality. Life is hard, and things are going to change for you. But nonetheless, if you have one of the best players in the world signed up already, even if it is three to four years, like whatever, you figure out figure it out in three to four years. Like it's not that big of a deal, I don't think. The uh, the other part of it was um, how not having it done can affect their future business and. It would be a lot easier, again, <laughs> if that's done and then you know what you're exactly you are working around. Now, it's not something that they are uh, completely losing sleep over just yet, but maybe if it's not done six months from now, then you start to a little bit more. I, I guess the question would be, like, what sort of business would it hold up? Would it hold up not being able to sign or not not prioritizing signing Philip Hronick until you have Pedersen's deal done? Could you start to ballpark maybe acquiring another impact player and wondering how that cap hit might fit into the future? Like, does it hold up big business not having Elias Pedersen done and dusted? I think the only thing it holds up is if he wants out and you're not exploring those possibilities now. I think that's the only thing it holds up, but that's not something that they want to do, and I don't think that's where it's leading anyways, right? Anything else, just just as we were having the discussion, would the Canucks like to get Pedersen signed to an eight-year deal? Yes. If he does four, you live with it. And just because you don't have clarity, 100%, but you do have an 
an indication, an inclination potentially. I don't think it's going to hold up you making a significant move if it's available for you. Like, would that not also strengthen your case if you make a good addition to the team? Yeah, absolutely. Again, because it, it depends. Like, what's the primary selling point to Elias Pedersen? Winning. Winning. Okay. Winning is more talent conducive to winning, probably. So they go hand in hand. Yes. Yeah. So is is another top line player going to be you know change the conversation from four year deal to eight year deal to whatever context it is? It's this Pedersen contract is number one on the priority list, but that doesn't mean everything else has to stop bef- until you do this. Yeah. And you keep in, in adding to the team. It, it changes the sales pitch as well. And right now, like we've said this too before, like Vancouver's sales pitch outside of like, you're the team that can add the eight year and all that sort of stuff. It also is you get to play with Quinn Hughes. Yeah. How many teams with cap space? If Pedersen's on the open market, like what? Like what does that cost? Open market and teams. I mean, he's getting at least twelve million. Yeah. Just because it's the open oh, market, I, these players don't. I mean, I'm yeah, saying at least. I'm yeah, saying at least. least. I'm saying so at least. How many teams right now that have? And look, I know, I know teams can open up cap space and do that for a player of this example. But how many player? How many teams that are ready to compete to win? Because that's the the number one priority for them. That are ready to win have that much cap space available? Not many. And and compare that to what Vancouver is. It's like you get to play with Quinn Hughes. You get to do this, and yeah. you got Demko, and it feels like everything's starting to turn a corner. And to mention, like, the reward of doing it here in Vancouver, it's a pretty good sales pitch because the money is there. It's just a matter of when are you ready to start doing this. It's, um, uh, you know, there's a couple of thoughts coming in at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Could you ponder life without Elias Pettersson? Uh, That's from Lotso. And I don't think you want to necessarily do that, Lotso. And I don't think... um, You can. You can. And, and you maybe should consider sometimes. Well, you, you have to know. I think you have to. I mean, because he hasn't signed, because you don't have long-term clarity, it's a reality. If you're the front office, you have to at least think about. You have to have a plan around. What's your plan? Of, you have to have a plan of action. Like if 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 that happens, what's your plan of action? You have to have one. So you have to consider. You have to live in a world where, hey, what do we do if that happens? You have yes. to you have to plan for the Matthew Kachuk situation where he says at the end of the year, as going into his final year. I'm not going to sign a long-term extension here, so yeah. it's either I play out my final year and I go to UFA, or you trade me. And suddenly, like, go look at Calgary's actions through that two-month span. Yeah, did it feel like the plan of action was there? Because it, it, a lot of it felt emotional at the time. Like, w- would they like a do-over on the Huberto deal? Yeah, yeah. You can't. You can't jump that was, into something like that. That to me was like immediate reaction to out goes Goudreau, out goes Kachuk, and it's like, oh, we just got to do something. And just here's. $10.6 million, which feels like a terrible decision. They could have now. made the trade and not rush to re-sign Huberdeau. I think maybe more more so that was maybe part of the issue. But Yeah, but, but yes, but, but their priority was getting ready-made players that are stars. Yes. So they're like, wait, we can get Uyghur and we can get Huberdeau and we can just sign them up and, hey, we can just continue this with two other stars coming in, right? Like, that was their idea. I can't imagine the Canucks' idea would be much different So considering the, the history of this franchise. Well, history of the, of the franchise, yes. The actions of the front office, however. Right. So when they traded Bo Horvat, you got the assets, and then you went and acquired something else, mm-hmm. right? 
you didn't necessarily have to acquire that from the team that wanted Elias Pettersson. I think the best thing you can do in a situation like that, and again, this is an if, like we're talking about, like you know, what, what, what's your plan if. of action? This is your, what is your plan of action, right? Like you don't want to do this, but if you had to, yeah. what, what, how would you kind of explore it? And to me, it would be get the deal with the most futures assets and good assets as possible. And then use those assets to go, go and acquire what you're looking for elsewhere if you can't find that from one team. I, th- I want a mother load of picks mm-hmm. and prospects. That's what I want. I, I, give me as many picks and prospects as I, as I can get. Now, because he's in the final year, it might be somewhat limited, but I'm still taking, honestly, I'm taking two firsts and, like and a prospect way over you know trading for a McKenzie Weger or a Huberto. Like I'd rather do that and then use those picks to go and get something else. Didn't mean to uh, explore this. Yes, no, this, well. <laughs> we really went far down the road here. I hope there's some magic beans at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> are we the? Are we the broken ones? <laughs> no, we might. Now, again, this is more about like, hey, breaking case of emergency, break yeah. glassing in a case yeah. of emergency. What do you do? Do you just stand there and you know let them walk in free agency? Like, you don't. You're not going to be paralyzed. You have to do something. Now, again, I don't think that's where it's going to go. Yeah, but to answer the question, you have to entertain a life. You have to have a lot of different, um, you know, doors that may happen. You have to understand where the different pathways are and how you would be able to execute each pathway. Make no mistake, the priorities of this team are mm-hmm. filling out their current team needs. You know, they're on a three-game win streak. They're pretty comfortably in a playoff spot as we get through the first third of the season, and that was another big part of the discussion with. Jim Rutherford, it's, okay, here's what we have. Now we're trying to figure out what's the best way to make us go from a pretty good team to a great team. And what's that piece? Is it a defenseman? Is it a top six forward? Do they necessarily think of it in the same way that we do by labeling it as a top six forward or a top four defenseman? Or are they thinking of it as, here's a player that can fit with us and we know that he can fit with us and maybe can play a a bigger role than he's currently in. Those are all the types of scenarios I think I could see playing out with the Vancouver Canucks. Should it not be an impact forward? I agree that they, they can still upgrade the defense. Like I agree, right? But if you get once you get Susie back. You have six defensemen. Yeah. And not that it's the best decor in the mm-hmm. league, but it ranks at least it, it's above average. I it's, think it it's becomes significantly more reliable than we've seen. Yes, yeah. so it's above average, right? And you like if you do have an injury, like you can survive. We've seen them survive with Noah Juleson as their sixth guy right now. He's yeah. playing a little bit better, and he's playing a sixth man role. He plays pretty well on the PK, and situationally, he can he can do some things for you. Well, it, yeah. it would be a, de- a decor that at least provides a floor. And at least has a ceiling. Again, I, I don't know if they're the best decor, but because you have Quinn Hughes, you can scratch the ceiling every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. And because there's depth, you at least the bottom won't drop out all of a sudden. Yeah. So, and and I do think organizationally, they'd love to add another. Like, I think in an ideal world, if they could find a way to get Chris Tanev here without having to trade you know, a first round pick or one of the picks, like if, they can do, if they can do some different things to get him here, I think they would love to do that. But I'm not sure if there's anybody outside of a player like him that it makes sense or that's really available that moves the needle enough for you. But if you get another forward, yeah, like a guy who can actually move the needle up front. Well, you look at a lot of these uh, contender-type teams. Florida is a great example how Sam Reinhardt is having an unbelievable year. And they can go pretty deep on their forward group. 
They have four lines. Rick Tockett's uh, mentioned how he loves the idea of having four lines and being able to roll through them. And the Canucks have built that a little bit. But where I think they are lacking the most right now is another high-end player. And you get a high-end player, you push Ilya Mikheyev down the lineup or Sam Lafferty Mm -hmm. can move back down the lineup. Whatever that machination might end up being, but... That, to me, is is where you stand to most upgrade this roster rather than trying to find another Philip Ronick type piece because like those guys just they come available so so very rarely as we've seen in the National Hockey League. I'm going to use a, a talkitism, uh, you know, biting the elephant one, t- one bite at a time. Yeah. You think of some of the acquisitions they made with the Sam Lafferty and, and you know, Suter. Mm. They're, they're, they're nibbles, right? They're, yeah. re- they're very nice, but it's, it's the small bite. They got to take right. a big bite. They got to take a big bite into this roster building elephant and saying, okay, now we can go get another top line player. We had this discussion last week of like production doesn't influence the the merit of your your status. And like I know Brock Besser's leading the league in goals, guys. I'm well aware. I still don't look at him as like the top line talent. He's yeah. outproducing Matt Kachuk right now. But if you put it in a vacuum and saying, who do you want? Like who do you believe is a top line player? It's Matt Kachuk. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the passion of the, of the world, the ranting of the yeah. world. So your production doesn't influence your merit. That's what I'm looking for. Is there another guy, or are you shop with the the more of the another Brock Besser type? Yeah, or can you like? I think it's very clear the type of player they like. You know, like they signed Mikheyev. Now Kuzmenko was different, and mm-hmm. he's but but again, like what what type of player is he at his best? He's a dynamic. He can drive play. He did it positively last year. But he's going to create scoring chances. He's going to score. Like he's a dynamic scoring threat. And of course, those players are hard to find, and they're seldom available in trade too. Yes, like the ones that and you got a free look at this guy. Exactly. So you got him in right. But look at Mikheyev. Look at Lafferty, who they traded for, and and also look at. The guy they were interested in but never got the free agency this, this past summer was Ivan Barbashev. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that type of big, rugged, you know, forward that's strong, can score a little bit, but can play a solid overall game. But you add a player like that who can give you 20 goals, play in the postseason, be hard to play against, drive play, like better Mikheyev slightly. You get a better Mikheyev. Like, I, th- I think that forward group is really difficult to play. I'm not saying you're winning a cup this year, but I'm saying you add that to that group. Yeah. That, that's going to make them really tough to play against. Those trees on the back end and then have a, another horse up front that can drive through players. Now, all of a sudden, you start putting together a team that's tough to play against. Those guys are just really hard to find. <laughs> like, oh, find me another Zach Hyman. Because <laughs> I think the other Sounds consideration, great. too, is um, like... You hope at some point, like a uh, Karamaki comes into the roster, right? You're, probably, you're hoping like he he fills that kind of Kuzmenko ish type of role, sure. You know? But okay, whether that's two years, three years, where he's like solidified himself in the top six, he's not the overwhelming biggest guy. Yeah. So like that's something to consider too. Of it, it's obviously the the demand for skill, of course, but the overall look of your top six. How do you balance that out? If at some point he makes it. And now you're like, oh, we are kind of small. Can you start finding profiles of that player now that will still be here in two, three, four years? Like, I, I, I've always used the term service years. Yeah. That's why I look at it. It's like, if you go get someone, that's why I'm not shopping in the rental market because the service years don't extend beyond. If you find someone that's going to be here for a while or you're confident you can sign them, that that to me is something that's interesting of fitting the profile that all, not, not only works now, but works three years from now too. Well, I mean, like for instance, right? Um, and this year, you know, he's playing decently and it's probably not going to happen. But like 
uh, Alexis Lafreniere, for instance. Yeah. He was available. At, like, he's probably not available now. He's got mm-hmm. eight goals so far. He's played fairly well, right? But Oh, he's cooled off the last three games, I think. <laughs> three You have him on one of your teams? <laughs> no, but no, he's he, he picked it up a little bit. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, he's finally figuring it out. Cooled and, then, and then he he's cooled it. off. Yeah. That's the type of player I could see them go after, and I'm not saying I'm using him as an example. A player mm-hmm. that's you know thought well of, that's younger, that maybe hasn't hit there. Because one thing Rutherford mentioned too was our window is just opening up. We mm-hmm. feel like, and if that's the case, you're not just looking at hey, we have to win this year. It's like you can live with somebody who can help you this year, but maybe isn't the uh, finished product and won't be for another year or two potentially. Right, and that's where I think a guy you know and Bick I think touched on something, and this is where I think. Just look at the players they've added. Look at the players on the back end. Look at the players up front. Size, I think, for them is important. And if you're going to be a diminutive player, you have to be really effective and really good. Yeah. The Canucks have one in Quinn Hughes, and he's incredible, right? But right. all the other D-men are large. Yeah, Hronik even. Like, yeah. he's not huge, but he's over six feet, like yeah. 200 yeah. pounds, like a hard player to get through. The rest of the guys are just mammoths, right? Look at the players they added. Mikheyev. Kuzmenko's mm-hmm. not the biggest guy, but again, like he can he He's not small. He's not small. But Mikheyev's big. Lafferty's big. Yeah. Dakota Joshua's huge. Teddy Bluegrass some size. Pew Suter's a good two way type of player, plays, you know, through contact. Well, even Garland, like immediately they identified a guy like Garland as maybe somebody that's not part of their vision. And how instructive would that be in how we should view Niels Hoaglander? Mm. Right? Like is are you, you, do you think Hoaglander is your solution in your top six? The guy we're talking about, right? That they need. Is, is it Hoaglander? He's the can, current solution right he now. Is, and you could build a case, right? You could actually build a case. And, and yeah. again, like I haven't been the biggest Hoaglander you know, booster, but he's played incredibly well. His production is there. You can make a rational case that you should give him the chance and he could be your guy. Making 1.1 this year, making 1.1 next year. Mm-hmm. Let him just have it. And I believe in him. Fair enough. Fair argument. But if he's not, is he not the guy you use to go and get the type of forward you're looking for? Because you're not going to get the defenseman you truly want, probably with him. N- not a higher-end guy, but forwards are always avail- available. What do you do there? And I just wonder, do you feel like having Hoaglander and Garland in, in their 12-forward group? Doesn't necessarily feel like that's part of their vision. But if Hoaglander continues to play like this, maybe he does really continue to carve out a role, whether it's in the top six or further down the lineup, that remains to be seen. Maybe it's not in a top six role, but there's still a lot to like about what Nils Hoaglander's done. And as far as looking for current solutions, that's kind of been the story of the season, right? Okay, this isn't working. Let's put Sam Lafferty there. Connor Garland's not working in the top six. Let's let him drive the third line and see how that works. So I I can see how all of that really plays into it, but... You know, right now they're they've won three in a row, and they've got back to playing to their team identity. And you know, when they play like they did against Tampa or even against Carolina, they feel like a team that's. For so many years, we talked about the hard to play against moniker, <laughs> and how they were never actually that as much as they tried to be. Mm-hmm. When they play to their team identity, they really do start to feel like a team that is hard to play against. Yes and no. Okay. Okay. Because we're judging it on December hockey. Right. When the tempo really picks up Mm -hmm. come April and May, should they be playing that far? I think it'll be a a little bit different. Now, they can survive in that environment, but I think there's going to be a tougher version of this team that emerges 
a year from now, two years from now, because they'll add more speed, they'll add more size, and suddenly more familiarity with Rick Tocchin will say, wow, like, we'll look back on this stretch and say, well, they probably weren't really as tough as they should be. Because come playoff time, it's if they were truly, truly tough to play against, right? I think we would say, hey, there's a third round potential here. But I don't think anyone's saying that yet. Well, and again, that to me, if you're adding Carson Susie to the back end, I don't think the back end can get much tougher to play against from a size, mm-hmm. you know, combination standpoint. I mean, the only guy we talk about right now is like, well, maybe Myers. Can you mm-hmm. upgrade on him? But you're not getting a bigger player than Myers if you're trading him, for instance, right? So the back end, I don't think, can get harder in terms of size and physicality than what you have when their top six is, you know, ready to go. Up front, though, somebody's asking us, what about Put Colson? Have you guys given up on him? I have not. No, no, But no. for next year, it's more about probably playing your third line, playing your fourth line. He's got some size. He can play that role. And maybe in a couple of years, like to me, I don't want to consider him for the top six yet. Just, just let him grow. Like mm-hmm. let him determine well, what they, he is they, first. They view him as as almost Hoaglander of last year. Yeah, where it's just like spend the rest of the year in the AHL and we'll go from there. But you add him to your bottom six next year, for instance, right? Right. If he can do that, he's a big player. You still need to add a few more guys up front, I think, to to really truly be that hard team to play against. There's not a ton of those options around, really. Can I read this text? Okay. Because uh, I had a friend of mine say something very similar to me. Mm-hmm. Um. This text unsigned. The hypothetical show. It's one after another with you guys. <laughs> and I had a friend mention, it'd be like, hey, you guys talk about contracts a lot and trades a lot. And the, the way I express this is, look at like the 2026 cap, okay? Mm-hmm. How many contracts has this regime given out that still exist in 2026? It's JT, JT Miller, Miller, Ilya Mikheyev, Carson Soucy. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, That's it. nobody else has signed. That's it. So when you're talking about like, oh, we want to be a contender year after year after year, you know what you need? You need stability in your organization that you can look at and say, well, all these slots are are taken up and we're going to be here year after year after year because the players are here year after year after year. The environment that's been created by this regime, I'm not saying it's bad, it's just part of their process. They have so many unsigned D-men for next year. We, we sit here and talk the Elias Pedersen contract because it's restricted free agent at the end of this year. Brock Besser's a year away. Kuzmenko. A lot of these conversations are very important right now because these players aren't signed beyond 2026 of the guys that they have committed to. Nils Oman as well, right? It's like, it, it's not a large number. So I get it's like, oh, there's a game tonight and Luong is getting retired. You have to talk about that. If you want to call us the hypothetical show, sure. It's also the environment that's been created by this regime. Well, yeah, and and I will say this for all that talk. I mean, the the engagement on any of that type of discussion is far greater than you know. But, like, no, but even beside that, it's just like it's it's actually important no, it to is. talk about no, it right now. But it's yeah. like there's actually of interest. Yeah. And, and besides, I mean, we have a three hour show today. We have a one hour <laughs> free game. Uh, we have Jovo coming up later. Where we're gonna you know dive into a number of other kind of topics about the team, uh, Thatcher Demko specifically and Luongo, but. Yes, I do think, and this is also based on what the GM said. I mean, what the president said. Yeah, as well. well like the we, president of Hockey Ops just went through a little bit of a media tour, and what does the president of Hockey Ops do? He sets the stage for the big mm-hmm. picture of the organization, more than anything else, right? And that's what Jim Rutherford is doing with the Vancouver Canucks right now. Um, before we uh, end this uh, half moon table. <laughs> See, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I was thinking Half Moon earlier. Then it would just roll off the tongue, but I'm glad you said it. Uh, who's that new Marvel he- uh, superhero? Is it something Moon? Night Moon? I can't keep moon up with Marvel night, superheroes. Night, moon, moon, night? moon Knight? Moon Knight, is that it? Yeah, Yeah, get some nods behind the glass. Yeah. Moon Knight? Yeah. What the heck is a Moon Knight? Oscar right. Isaac plays. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, that didn't answer anything, but... It's great. <laughs> it's got a Half Moon, I think. Half- that's his there thing. There you go. 
This is like me when I first saw the Ant-Man movie trailer. Like, really? <laughs> Shows how much I know about the, the Marvel Universe. Um, all right, it is Luongo night. So it, it's been fun, like, hearing from Luongo and uh, doing the whole down memory lane thing. And history does... Like, living through Luongo, it was always like there was one uh, landmine after another that he was sort of dodging, even though he was easily one of the best goalies in the league pretty much for the entirety, well, for the entirety of his Canucks career. And maybe that history is a reason why he's going into the ring of honor and not having his jersey retired. But nonetheless, the conversation Sat are going to strike up, Sat and I are going to strike up after this uh, after this segment is over. Can Demko get to that kind of a level? Man, you guys are out for blood with these topics. Well, I know, it's the, and I think it's the question, and I think it's an interesting question, honestly. Yeah. Because what he's the he's the odds-on favorite for the Vesna right now. He is, and if he wins a Vesna trophy, he'll do something that no Canucks netminder has ever done before. Mm-hmm. And if he ultimately wins a Stanley Cup, he'll do the one thing that nobody's mm-hmm. done before, right? So I think those are the two things. Yeah. You know, and, and if he has a Vesna season, and then can he stay here long enough? And he only has two years left on his contract beyond this. Does he stay here long enough to have all the numbers? Right. And if he wins a Vesna and has all the lem- numbers by the end of it, like he, we could, because like, as much as w- this era right now is saying it's Luongo, right? But you get a pushback. Like, it's not like it's, it's you know, this universal thought. There are people that like, oh, Kirk McLean in his prime, Luongo melted down in game seven. He had moments where he wasn't good. I mean, you see a pretty big push of that narrative coming out. So I, I think the windows, like, it's, it's slightly open. It comes down to slightly winning. Slightly ajar. I think it's slightly ajar. Like, I think it's slightly ajar. And it's not about who is the better career. It's about as a Canuck. Yeah. Yes. You know, and I think we oftentimes get caught up in, like, well, look at this guy's career. And it's like, Demko's not going to have the My- career of Luongo. That's not going to happen. But as a Canuck, could he accomplish more? Yeah. Well, no, no goalie in the like in today's NHL is going to hit a thousand games again. Yeah, my, my initial impre- my initial reaction was like, oh man, that's a that's bold because yeah. you know I just think of the individual talent level. Let's not say Demko's not amazing. It's just they're both freaks. Like, like <laughs> yeah, and I, like I think Luongo might be the freak of the freaks. Yes, right. I, I, he might be the last true a workhorse style goalie. Like we're not going to see a seventy three start goalie ever again. Yeah, and. That era of like you know Wah Hashik Brodeur was was followed by Luanco, and he kind of took that torch as far as it could go, and it just feels like the di- dynamics of goaltending has changed. Um, but and, and you know Demko's second round pick, not like Luanco. I, I, I struggle with that. I struggle a great deal with that because the, the peak uh, talent wise in Vancouver, I, I don't know if it will be matched, but the accolade certainly could be surpassed. Luongo, uh saved the Canucks from the goalie graveyard that it was. Mm-hmm. Right, because <laughs> it was a total wasteland uh, it, after Kirk McLean pretty much wrapped up his career. It, I mean, it, 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 there was a running joke. Spikes, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a reason. Like, it, it was really one of the main reasons why the West Coast Express team didn't failed, win. and you they know? all know it. Brian Burke has said it a thousand times now. We didn't win because we didn't have a goalie. Tough to look back on it that way, but uh, there will be a lot of great memories tonight with Roberto Luongo. Bick, we appreciate the time as always. Fun stuff. Uh, you'll hear him on the post game show tonight. After the Canucks and Florida Panthers wrap up, it's been the Canucks Central Half Moon on Sportsnet 650.